0: Did everybody get a handout tonight? They were on their way in. Mike, would you mind being the handout guy this evening? And would one of you guys mind getting the doors on your way out tonight? 20 to 22. Absolutely. I realize that we never finished chapter 20, so we've got just a few verses, but most of our time tonight is going to be spent in... Twenty-one and twenty-two, and this is the last one. So, thank you so much for being with me for all twenty-two of these chapters. Do we have any perfect attendance in here? Anybody get get like everyone? Make it for everyone. Do you, Deborah? Oh, like yeah, I, I appreciate that. So, huh? Does online viewing count? Sure. Why not? Let's go for it. So. Um, I did have one person ask me, they said uh, they were looking for last week's and um, I was like well, I didn't do it last week so they, they didn't miss it. But I do feel like somebody has split the Red Sea and I have a group of people over here and a group of people over here and then Jesse in the middle. So, but we'll, we'll in the way of that you don't want to block the camera, you don't want the back of your head to be on there. Alright, I get it. I definitely get it. What's that? Oh, or my, you think I I would spit? Come on. Be a little more charitable, Jim, than that, you know? All right, Revelation. Let's get to the topic tonight. Tonight is really the final of the, the final scene of human history as has been revealed to us. It is interesting to imagine, though, that this is what has been revealed. There is, has God revealed everything to us? Well, no but we are at the end of what he has revealed. And I just I think that's kind of fascinating in and of itself, and maybe tuck that thought away for another time. But we come to the theme of the new heaven and the new earth. And there's some interesting things that we'll notice, but pick it up with me if you begin in chapter number um, 19. If you remember previously in our study in Revelation, it's been a few weeks, so we looked at the... The, the final sequence was the Battle of Armageddon. If you remember that, all the armies of the, uh, had come and they were going to devour the people of God, but Jesus comes on a white horse and he's victorious. After that, there is the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. At the end of the millennium, now the people who are faithful, the faith, especially the Jewish people who are faithful, they will continue from the end of the tribulation into the 1,000-year millennium. But at the end of the millennium, remember, Satan had been bound for a 1,000 years. At the end of that 1,000 years, Satan will be loosed one last time. We spoke about the significance of that the last time we were together. But we know what happens, and that is that there's a final rebellion. There's a final rebellion, and they come about Jerusalem, they gather around Jerusalem, and they think that they are going to take over, they're going to overthrow King Jesus, and they're... These nations will set up their authority. But it ends in just a moment. Fire comes from heaven, it's, it's over. And that is Satan's very last stand. It says in chapter 20 and verse 10, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so that is the end and the final destruction of Satan. His rebellion is once and for all put to rest but now attention is turned again to humanity and you'll notice in verse 11 is a fearful scene it says and i saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and i saw the dead small and great stand before god and the books were opened And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So you see this instruction um, in this description of this great white throne. Now, some of you had asked a question the last time we met together about the idea of the first resurrection. And you remember back in verse number 5 of the same chapter, you might want to just glance back in Revelation 20 in verse 5, Speaking of the eternally redeemed, not the eternally judged, but the eternally redeemed, we see in verse 5, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. That's the unbelievers. But this is the first resurrection. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the first resurrection is the resurrection to life. Believers, both believers of this current age and believers of the, uh, of the tribulation age that died during that time, when we come to the end of that period, both of, uh, both companies have redeemed, their bodies will be resurrected. So, for instance, if a believer... If a believer passes away today, their body goes to the grave or to the sea or where, wherever the body lies. But their soul goes to be with the Lord. But there will be a resurrection. There will be a blessed resurrection where the body comes out of the... The Bible says that the bodies will come out of the grave, they'll come out of the sea, they'll come out of the land, and our very physical bodies will be reconstituted and we'll take part in that first resurrection. Blessed is happy to be part of that first resurrection because the second death will have no power over those who are part of the first resurrection. Jesus went before us. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. Paul would speak at great lengths about the, the resurrection that we look forward to. So your salvation is not complete because your body has yet to be redeemed. And if you die and stand before the Lord tonight and your, your soul stand before him, believe it or not, your salvation will still not be complete at that moment in time. The, the work of salvation is complete at that resurrection the resurrection unto life however now there is a final resurrection the second resurrection and that is the resurrection unto death you notice there's a great white throne and in verse 12 in verse 12 the dead small and great stand before god You notice down in verse number 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So this is a frightful scene of those who have spent the previous thousands of years in what we believe, as the Bible teaches, is a literal place of fire and torment called hell. But hell is not the... The word hell in the, the Old Testament and the New Testament has the idea of the grave, or the lowest parts of the earth. Jesus described it in the story of Lazarus and, and the rich man. But hell is just a temporary place. The final place, the final judgment, uh, no one will spend eternity in hell. Eternity for the unbeliever is the lake of fire. Sometimes we use those words ent- interchangeably, but they're not correct. Hell is a temporary Uh, place of judgment, the lake of fire is the eternal place of judgment. And so at this day all people will stand before the throne of God. And notice, did you notice what they will be judged on the basis of? This is very interesting. They'll be judged on the basis of their what? Their works. Now believers, praise the Lord, We are found, if our names are written in the book of life, through faith in Christ, we'll never be judged according to our works. And aren't you glad that you'll not be judged according to your works? Because the fact is this, there are two sets of books in heaven. There is the book of life, and then there are the books. There's there's one book and two sets of books. The one book is the book of life. If your name is written in the book of life, you do not appear at the Great White Throne Judgment. However, if your name is not found recorded in the Book of Life, the Book of Life is closed, it is set down, and then there's another set of books that are pulled up. And in those books are all of the thoughts, the deeds, the actions, the sinful doings of humanity. And in some cosmic way, every single Sin, I believe every single sin that has been committed will be called to record that day, and each person will know that they are being judged according to perfect holiness, perfect righteousness, and perfect justice. Why is this significant? Why is this significant? Well, you could, for sake of time, you could probably give me several answers tonight. But let me give you one most significant reason for this is that no one at the great white throne judgment will be able to say, God, that's not fair. There will be no one that is able to say, this isn't fair. The book of Romans talks about every mouth being stopped. Because God will decree his righteous sentence. And oh, we were reminded before, blessed is he, blessed is he who's, who has part in the first resurrection, on whom the second death has no power. Because now there is the second death, the eternal separation from God. We understand that when the Bible speaks of death, it's not speaking of an end, speaking of transition. It's speaking of a, uh, of a, of a transition, of a separation. The first death is separation from the body. The second death is there is a reunification of the soul and the body, and there is eternal death in the lake of fire. Verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We should not hurry over these types of passages. Someone was telling me about a a pastor, I won't... Give any names or details, and it's not a local person, but they're telling me about a pastor who was asked questions about what they believed. Do they believe in a, a real place called hell? Do they believe in, that the Bible is the perfect word of God? Do they believe all these things? And sadly, the pastor was unable to give an actual straight answer. The answer was well, some people believe this, and some people believe this. But sir, what do you believe? Well, some people say this, and some people say that. And that's sadly a brand of Christianity that is pervasive in in, in this region of the country. But the fact is, we do not have the luxury, we do not have the right or the authority to make those kinds of statements. Because not just pastors, although pastors, the Bible says, will receive... um, my brethren, be not many masters, for you shall receive the greater condemnation. Anyone who claims to be a pastor, we, stand in, we will stand and act in judgment for what we say, what we teach people, which is a sobering thought. But Christian, I would submit to you, you, you stand at the same judgment. You, if you are as, it's one thing to be convinced about your salvation, but you also need to be as convinced and, and understand that there is a judgment that's coming, and we are to live our lives before unbelievers realizing that that it is our responsibility, it is our obligation to represent Christ to them, to speak Christ to them, as looking at people who may one day stand before God's judgment. It's a serious calling, this calling, to be ambassadors for Christ. We don't, it, it's not a matter that we can take lightly. There is an eternal death that awaits the unregenerate, and we must be, our lives must be about the business of proclaiming the gospel. Now, that's all done. It's all put away. Judgment and justice, the books are closed. It's all finally, once and for all, solved. Yes, ma'am? Yes. No, all of the dead throughout all of the... Because that's where it says that death and like, hell gave up the dead which were in it, the sea. So this is to be understood as all of those who have died in an unbelieving state. Yes. Not the believers. That's what we saw in... in if you remember in verses five or 4, 5, and 6, that's referring to those who were part of the first resurrection on whom the second death has no power. So this is the unbelieving dead who stand before God. Yeah, I think it's the equality before God. There are people that will, there are great men and women who will suffer the judgment of God and there are people that lived less significant lives In, in and that's not relevant at the judgment seat. There are no... There are no great people or insignificant people, but all people are equal and before God. Yeah, no, people that are alive today that are not believers will be a part of the second death. Yes, all dead throughout all of the ages, Correct, yeah, because this is the final judgment. We, we are past, the, church, the, the The dispensation to Israel is done with, the dispensation to the church is done with, the millennium dispensation is done with, and now we are entering eternity, the final dispensation, if you will. We're entering the eternal state, and so the final judgment is occurring right now, which now it transitions to 20, in chapter 21 into the eternal state of the redeemed. Okay? Anybody else on that? Let's go now. So that's put away. It's done. The final judgment has been, the final sentence has been decreed. And now the glory of eternity is revealed. And in chapter 21, the new heaven and the new earth. There's a conception that we're going to float on the clouds of heaven for all of eternity you'll find that nothing could be further from the truth. That is not the plan of God for humanity. Um, it says in verse twenty-one, or verse 1 of chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So we're going right back to the, the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and now there's a recreation, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, this is interesting, no more sea. Now, does this mean that there is no water in the new earth? I don't think it means that. But it's interesting to note that in the Bible, the sea is not thought of as a happy place. The sea was a place of danger and chaos and uncertainty. And so you find this theme, and that's actually another Bible study that that could be done. But it says that there is no more sea. It's also, also, I think, another significance of the sea is the seas historically have been that which separated mankind. And now there's the, a great uh, united earth. Now verse 2, and I saw John, and I, John, rather, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So what has happened is actually, th- this is amazing, God has always been the initiator. God is, at the, in, in the new heaven and the new earth, we are not going to God, but what is happening? God is coming down to us. God is coming to us to dwell with his people. And the city, New Jerusalem, which we often refer to as heaven, is going to be a geographical location on planet Earth, or on the new planet Earth. So in reality, for eternity, we're not going to live out there in outer space. We're going to live, well, not here either, but in the new here. And the residence, the, 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 the tabernacle of God, the tabernacle is the tent, it's the dwelling place, it's the place where God lives. And God's desire has always been to be with his people. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden that Adam was, that God came and wanted to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day? God's desire to dwell with his people is ultimately fulfilled in the city of God, the new Jerusalem coming down to mankind. And it says in verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, That's like R, A, and Z. The beginning of the Greek alphabet, the end of the Greek alphabet. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Interesting, that theme of he that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, he shall be my son. That theme of being overcomers is all throughout John's writings. He talks about it in 1 John. You trace that theme of the overcomers. God used the Apostle John to give us that theme. Remember, it speaks of the ones who overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Um, And this is the victory. And this is the victory that overcomes the world in 1 John. Does anybody know how that finishes? And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, even our faith. So some people have fearfully looked at this passage and said, oh no, I don't know if I'm an overcomer. I don't know if I've been good enough. And is this passage teaching us that, oh, you better try hard to be? No, follow the theme of the overcomer through John's John's gospel, through the epistles of John, in the book of Revelation. The the believers are the overcomers. We are the ones who will overcome. Not by our strength, but by His strength. Remember, Jesus said, and Jesus touched on this in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall what? The meek shall inherit the earth. That's what this is speaking about. Verse 8, But the fearful and unbelieving... The abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Any questions before we move on? Yes, sir. Right, because it is impossible, and, you, and, and again, I could take you to a couple of passages, but it is impossible for a believer to be, dis, to, none of these descriptions are allowed to be attached to a believer, right? If you're an unbeliever and you lie, you can fairly be called a liar. But if you're a believer, you cannot be defined as a liar. Why? because you are justified you're justified in christ paul spoke about this that he talked about christians should not behave as unbelievers do right so these descriptions are descriptions of unbelievers of course christians are capable of behaving as a, a christian can commit a sin but a christian cannot be defined as a sinner we are the saints we are the ones made righteous in christ that is our security in verse number 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. Oh, I should back up for a minute, though, and say something that the New Testament does teach that if a person's life is marked, if a person's life is marked by lying or fornication, if their, if their life is marked, like, the, the, they, are, they persist in these types of activities, there should be serious question as to whether or not they actually are in Christ, okay? And so um, it's not to say that, oh, yeah, you're, you, you said a prayer, or you filled out a card, or you walked an aisle, and so you're a, that must mean you're a Christian. Every person knows in their heart before God. And the Bible does say, by your fruits you will know them. So there's that balance there, so I don't want to be misunderstood. But at the same time, if you're in Christ, you're capable of committing sin, but you cannot be defined by those sins. You've been justified in the name of Jesus. All right. Verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me. So, again, we're back in the scene, we're connecting all the pieces. And it's like, yeah, I remember you. You had the bowls of judgment. He's not holding them anymore, I don't think, though. And he comes over. And he says, Come hither. I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And this is a scene that we, we will see someday, and John does this to describe it. Here's the scene of New Jerusalem, Coming down, it's as if a bride is walking down the aisle to be presented to her husband. The new Jerusalem is coming, and that is our home. Here it comes. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 11: having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So we're seeing all kinds of biblical... I'm not going to make a lot of commentary on this. There's all kinds of, of Old Testament, New Testament, all kinds of biblical imagery being fulfilled and visualized. So it's almost as if when we see the New Jerusalem, the whole story of the Bible is, is symbolized in that. Just like the Old Testament tabernacle is filled with symbolism, such is the New Jerusalem. So there's the Great Wall... Uh, verse 13, uh, and on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, the wall of the city had twelve foundations, in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the walls thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Some people believe that this will be a cubicle city. And, again, you can do your own study on the speculation of that, but it does talk about the length, the breadth, the height. So some people, and I meant to write it down, does anybody have a note in their Bible that gives the, uh, the um, I can't believe I forgot to do this, the, the, um, the equivalent measurements? You have that? What do you got? We're in verse 7. Right. So 1,400 miles. And it says it's 1,400, what a city, right? 1,400 miles this way, 1,400 miles this way, and apparently 1,400 miles this way. I don't know. Sounds pretty cool. That's all I'm going to say. So, and... 17, he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, that's the thickness, 144 cubits, that would be uh, 144 times 1.5 is how many feet it is. So, 215 or something like that feet thick. Like Those are some serious walls right there. Um, where I leave off? According to the measure of man, that is of an angel. Verse 18. And the building of the wall. Now, think. Now look at the, Think of the colors and the and the jewels. The wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. the The foundation of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. This is like I still remember. I've I've been to New York City a lot of times, but well, it's always impressive when you get to the city. I mean, it's just. It, it's just. Impressive, but one time, this is about five or six years ago. I took the train from Rensselaer Station to Penn Station, and I got out in—I don't know if it was actually Penn Station. I don't. I, I got out right in the heart of the city. I mean, I'd never—that had never happened to me before. Where you're coming up out of the subway, out of the train tunnel, you walk out onto the street, and it's just like boom—you're there. I mean, a few minutes ago, I was looking at cow fields on the train, out the train window, and now I'm in the, I go in the tunnels, I come out, I walk in the city, and, and it is just, you're, it's, you're there, and you're just, you know, I live in Clarksburg, I don't see that every day, right? So, it just, it, the awe of it, it hits you, right? Well, this is magnified by a bazillion, right? Like, it's just, the, the splendor of the city of God is supposed to just have us in awe and in wonder. That no human construction has ever compared. Pure Jasper. The city was pure gold, like clear glass. Verse 19. Foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, a chalcedony. The fourth, an emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, a topaz. The tenth, uh, a chrysal- Yeah. The eleventh, adjacent. The twelfth, an amethyst. Twenty-one. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. You remember the, I mean, again, now, all these, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The theme of the temple, in the Old Testament, there's a tabernacle, then there's a temple. In the New Testament, we are the temple, and the church is the temple. But in eternity, there's no need of a temple, because we are eternally in the presence of God. There's perfect light, no need of the sun. Verse twenty-four. Now, this is kind of interesting. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Now, that that one really stands out to me. I think there's going to be a parade of nations in the in this city. The nations that God had established, and the kings that were saved. That that, and I believe the kings, the rulers, the presidents, those who who who. Because, remember, God appoints rulers, right? And there are rulers that have honored God. It says here that the kings are going to bring their honor into the city. And, verse 25, the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. No possibility of temptation or sin or anything. It is put away forever. And he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. Interesting that, just a note on the deity of Christ, Jesus always accepted worship because he is worthy of it, he is divine. But the angels would never accept worship. Verse 10, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, again he says, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha, Alpha, and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without our dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. I think the beautiful picture, he describes the righteous ones. Who are the righteous ones? The ones who drink of the water of life freely, then become the righteous ones who do the work of God. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. That, that is why I'd be very afraid as a pastor to say, well, I don't know what I believe or not. Come dangerously close. Well, no, you've not dangerously close, but have, but have crossed the line of... Questioning the word of God. If any man takes away or adds, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. That's the third time we've seen that. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. If you remember the the song... Um, it is well with my soul, that one verse, and Lord haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall appear. And then what is the line in that song? Even so. If you never, never grab the significance of that, he's, the, the songwriter is pulling even so from right here. Amen. The voice of every Christian, when we read the book of Revelation, as we've studied the book of Revelation, the point isn't like, oh, I think I know who the Antichrist is going to be. Oh, I think I know what this prophecy and this war is going to be and what this nation is. If you enjoy speculating with all of that, I'm I'm not against it. I'm not against it. But if that becomes the focus, you've missed the point of the book of the Revelation. Because the point of every believer is to come away and say, the Lord Jesus is coming. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come. The grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ, be with you all. Amen. Amen. And that concludes the book of the Revelation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we've had the, these months to study your word. We've seen... Wonderful truths and, and, and some horrible truths, God. Things that, that excite us and things that cause us to be in trembling. But we thank you that you have given us the assurance that because of Christ, our names are in the book of life, that we don't have to fear any of the things that are going to come to pass. But God, give us give us a... An eternal perspective and a, and, a, and a view of eternity that that the lives that we live are short. And they must be dedicated to Your honor and glory. I pray all of this in Jesus. Name. Amen.